I want to talk to you this morning and for a short moment about hope from the cross. Hope from the cross. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We trust you to do what only you can do. Give us that hope in Jesus' name. And all God's men and women said, turn to your neighbor, say you're really good looking, and go ahead and sit down. You know, we started this message series off with how to have that contagious hope and how it's literally an anchor of our soul. Being anchored is important because we often drift through life without meaning, without purpose. Things come our way, difficulty, situations, circumstances, and we begin to drift. You have to be anchored in the right stuff because hope is not wishful thinking and hope is not an illusion. Hope is based on the promises that good things are going to happen to me because of God's word. Anchoring in that hope because that hope is unchangeable. It's unchangeable hope. Today is hope from the cross. Friday night, our night to take a good Friday service, we're going to have hope in his word. The seven words Jesus said before he died brings us hope. And then Easter Sunday, we call it Resurrection Sunday, is hope because that door has been opened. The hope of the door. Unlocking the door of hope is what I'm going to call next Sunday's message. But think about this today because everything in our understanding when it comes to Bible and understanding comes from the cross. I have no religious upbringing. I have uh, no background in church life. I, I have no way to have references of how I was raised because I wasn't raised in church. I was on my own since I was 11, so I was kind of living with one devastating thing after another, and I really didn't have a lot of hope. When I was 22, however, my life changed. I gave my life to not a religion, but a person. And I started my journey to realize what hope is and what hope is not. And I want you to realize something today because everything about our belief as, as believers in the Lord really stems from the cross. It's true naturally too. It's AD, it's after death, it's BC, before Christ. What's the point? The central theme of the gospel is the cross. Without it, we have nothing. With it, we have everything. Because of it, we have eternal life. Jesus said, he that believeth on me will never die. That's the greatest message to ever be preached. If there was no other message other than that one, it's the greatest message on the planet. He that believeth on me shall never die. Notice it didn't say he that joineth a church. He that starts its own denomination or he that acts right, lives right, talks right, dresses right. No, he that believeth on me, they'll never die. Because of this cross, we have divine healing. Maybe you're here in this room. You're sick in your body. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is the great physician. At Calvary, he healed all forms of cancer, all forms of diabetes, all forms of aneurysms, all forms of issues with the body, with the blood, with the mental, with the physical, with the emotional. By his stripes, we are healed. Because of this cross, we have prosperity and not poverty. Many times you hear this preached and you hear people say, Jesus became poor. When he lived on this earth, he was poor. He became poor, but only at the cross did he become poor. The Bible says he had a money changer named Judas. I don't know about you, but if you're poor, you don't have a money changer. My wife came home. She's the money taker. We have two daughters and they take what mom leaves over. 
If Jesus had a money changer, that means he wasn't broke, busted, and disgusted. He had some resources. What's the point? He became poor, but the question is when and where did he become poor? He became poor at Calvary. That means he took your poverty, and he took your poverty, and my poverty, and he gave me the prosperity of Abraham. He gave me the blessings of the kingdom, and that's so important to know. Because of this cross, we have peace with God. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, but such as I have it, I give it unto you. If you're tormented in your heart today, maybe in your mind, maybe with your life, maybe not knowing your purpose or direction, the destiny God has for you, I can assure you it all stems from the cross. It's the central theme because without it, we don't have nada. We don't have anything without this message because it's impossible to be saved without the cross. It's impossible to be healed. It's impossible to become an heir and a joint heir. It's impossible to have peace. It's impossible to have eternal life. That's why this scripture I read this morning is so important. The apostle Paul says, but God forbid that I should boast except in this thing of the cross. Notice he didn't say, I'm not, I'm going to boast in the Sermon on the Mount. Why didn't he say that? Because the Sermon on the Mount has no power if it doesn't have the cross in it. So how do you see it? Because many people, when they talk about the cross, they see this, they see as forgiveness of sin, but they don't see it as a way of a lived life. They see the cross as forgiveness of sin. Jesus came, he forgave me of my sin, but they don't see it as a way of life. When you give your life to the Lord, it's by believing, not by joining a church, not by giving money, not by giving to the poor. You simply believe. He that believeth have life, and he that believeth not is dead already. That means there's no grandchildren in the kingdom. God has no grandchildren. To as many as believed gave the power to become the sons and daughters of God. So we're not here to judge who's a believer and who's a doubter. The reason why I say that, because all you and I have to do to become born again is believe. But many people stop right there because they say, well, Joey, can a person, they believe, but they smoke cigarettes. Are they going to hell? No, they're going to heaven faster, though. (laughs) You get my point. You're going to go there a lot quicker. You ought to stop doing that. Joey, they smoke weed. Are they going to heaven? No, they already think they're in heaven. Ah, They call me mellow yellow. The ganja. So there's a difference between what I would call knowing Jesus as a savior to forgive me of my sin. But the, the, the hurdle I want us to cross is to get us to a place where he's Lord where he's Lord. Not only do I realize he's forgiven me, but now he's, he tells me what to do. He gives me direction. He gives me peace. He's the Lord of my time. He's the author and finisher of my faith. He's my all in all. He's my everything. That's the hurdle I want us to cross. That's the culture of Oasis to get us to cross that hurdle. We believe, but let's cross the hurdle where he becomes our everything. It's important because when, we're, when, we, when we don't have that where he's our everything, we get controlled by other things. We get controlled by other things. When he's just a savior to forgive me of my sins, I don't have freedom in those areas because the kingdom of God has not manifest yet. How do we know the kingdom of God hasn't manifest? Because we're bound by stuff. We know the kingdom of God has brought freedom when we're free from the things that once held us back. You say, well, isn't that the issue of becoming born again? No, the born again issue is you're free from sin. 
But now the lordship issue is where the kingdom comes and frees you up. It frees you from your addiction. It frees you from your self-dependency. It frees you from being controlled by other people, by religious rules that have nothing to do with the word of God. It, can, it frees you up from the false concepts of Jesus and who he is and who God our Father is. And today, by the grace of God, I'm encouraging this in your spirit. Be free. Let the kingdom of God come so there can be freedom. We know the kingdom of God has come because there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, and there is truth. So let's begin with this thought because this central theme really frees us up from what I would call legalism. It, it delivers us. Deliverance means that something that was holding me back, now I'm free from. Deliverance from legalism. What in the world is that? That's a, not a word that we use in day-to-day -day life. But legalism is simply stated man-made rules keeping man-made rules to obtain righteousness with God. Righteousness means I'm going to keep these man-made rules so I can be closer to God. It's legalism. Every denomination has its brand of legalism. Our text of the morning says, but God forbid. Why does he start verse 14 in the book of Galatians saying those three words, but God forbid? Because verse 12, there were false teachers legalist. They were, they were teaching the church. How many of you know, and this is one of my pet peeves. I got many. I mean, I can get on a high horse and ride on out of here with all my pet peeves. I've got so many, but here's one of them. When people say, well, I'm just glad that they go to church, and I often bite my tongue, and I'm thinking, it might not be a good church. It might be a cult. You don't know. You don't know. I had a lady recently tell me, my son, uh, he wasn't doing good, but thank God he's going to church. And I didn't say anything, but I thought, it doesn't mean just because they go to church that you're going to a good one, that you're going to a right one. The reason why I say that, that's not because we're in the 21st century. This is the first century. The apostle Paul has built these churches out of the revelation of the cross and Jesus. There's all these signs, wonders, and miracles happening. And now he's saying, but God forbid that I should boast. Why? Because they were these legalists. They were teaching the church that he established, if you want to be saved, believe on the cross and be circumcised. If you don't know what circumcision is, don't ask me. I'm not going to gross you out. But they said, believe on the cross and be, and add to it. In other words, believe on Jesus, believe on the cross, and then there's something else that you must do and we want you to do that's a man-made rule. That's why he's saying you're not, there. that's why he comes against it, because he's saying you're not saved by this grace alone, by the cross. You're saved because you've kept this man-made rule. That's legalism. That's why he says, God forbid. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what happens nowadays. Man-made rules. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Evidence of speaking in tongues. Now you're really saved. Now you dress this way. Wear your hair this way. Well, I can't do that. But you get my point. Now I want you to read the Bible 27 hours a day. And then I want you to pray for 36 hours a day. And I want you to do everything now because now you're not dressing right. You're not talking right. You're not acting right. So now if you're really saved now you've got to add this to it 
And that's why the Apostle Paul says, no, no, hold it up. This is not how it goes. He thunders back and says, God forbid. Why? Because it's not the cross plus circumcision. It's not the cross plus keeping this rule or having that gift given to you or that thing exposed to you. It's the cross plus nothing that saves you. It's his blood plus nothing that removes the stench of sin. It's the blood plus nothing that conquers the forces of hell. It's the blood plus nothing that sets the captive free. It's his blood plus nothing that cures you of every form of sickness and disease. It's the blood plus nothing that makes demons tremble in hell when you roll over in your bed because you are the property of the cross. It's the washing away of my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's what makes me whole again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not the cross plus this. It's not the cross plus joining the church, giving money, helping the poor, getting involved in growth tracks, getting involved in this thing. Now I speak in tongues or I have prophecy now. It's the cross plus nada that gives you the victory every single time. That's a hard pill to swallow for people how they're raised, though. They're thinking, oh, man, oh, man, that's tough to swallow. But listen to what the scriptures say. If righteousness comes by the law, Christ died in vain because God hates this legalistic way. He hated it then, and he hates it now. Because if you and I can be saved by what we do, then his cross is in vain. And what Christ did for us is put on void. It's not effective. That's why you are saved by nothing that you've done, nothing that you contributed to your salvation, not the clothes you wear, the color of your hair, or the words even you say. You say, well, Joey, 10 and 9 of Romans says it. You have to believe in your heart that confession. That is an act of your faith mixed with what God has already done, friend. Legalism is one of the worst things that happens because it cripples up good people that love God and they want to grow in grace and grow in faith. But when you start adding rules and you start adding things that people aren't ready for, it causes them to shrink back and become hopeless. I want to give you two contrasts this morning quickly about two churches that the Apostle Paul started and he addresses. One of them is the church at Corinth. It's Corinthians. It's the church at Corinth where the Apostle Paul started the church. Now, you have to understand, in the first century, there's no churches that have this denomination or that denomination or this upbringing or that. They're, they're, they're sparked in fire. The revelation of Jesus has birthed the church. The upper room has birthed the church all throughout human history. In the prophets of God, you can be around the prophets. You can talk to them or hear from them. In the ministry of Jesus, you can be around him. You can see him ride on the donkey if you were lucky to turn over the tables. And you, if you were lucky, you could see him do the miracles. But only until we get into the upper room do we have the Holy Spirit live in us. That's why we have the biblical right to say greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Because now that spirit lives in us. That birthed the church. That's the great commission. Go out into the world and, and tell people, show them the love of God. Followed up by signs, wonders, and miracles. There's nothing that God wanted to do more than show his great love for a dying world. Where we were at our worst, he died for us. So the Apostle Paul is establishing these churches, not denominational things, but fire. Churches that had signs, wonders, and miracles. A normal operating factor in every New Testament church, and it should be the normal operating factor in every 21st century church. 
But listen how he greets the church at Corinth, the church of Corinthians. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for you by the grace given to you in Christ Jesus. You say, well, that's good. They're a New Testament church. They're on fire for God. No, let me tell you what they were doing prior to him telling them that. They were getting drunk at communion. I mean, falling down drunk. How many know you ought not do that? Two of you over here. The rest of you are winos. Like, I don't see nothing wrong with that. Jose Cuervo is a friend of mine, Joey. I'm going to bring him along for the journey. No, they were getting, like, dog drunk, having communion. They're just getting drunk. How many know that ain't cool? Okay, two, the back people are really spiritual. The front people are heathen. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I'm teasing. But not only were they getting drunk at communion, they were having relations with people in their own family. How many know that's incest? That's gross. They ought not do that neither. Not only were they getting drunk at communion, they were having bad issues with their family members, but now they're misappropriating church funds. You call that fraud. How many of those are three strikes? You're out of there. You would think that, hey, these are three deadly things that that would kill the church. He's going to stop the church. It's, it's not, no, no, because they wanted, they wanted wisdom. They wanted instruction. They made bad decisions, but the apostle Paul came in and gave them godly wisdom and instruction, and they repented. They repented of their sin, and they got back on the right track. That's why he greets them with grace and peace to you by God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for you concerning these issues, loving, compassionate. Why? 1 Corinthians, he, he eats them alive with the word. That's why some people don't realize when God is disciplining his children, he doesn't discipline with a whirlwind of migraine headache for you, mother-in-law's moving in with you. IRS is coming to investigate you. God's judgment is bringing cancer upon you. That's not how God works. God works with his word. He disciplines through his word. And so now they come under the discipline of the word because the man of God disciplines them and they repent. They get back on the track. And God says, I see potential in this church. Now let me give you another greeting of a different church, another New Testament church that has miracles, signs, wonders, and power in this church. The apostle Paul greets the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. Follow this. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, please understand in the New Testament, to call your brother a fool, the scriptures say you're in dangers of hellfire. The apostle Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That means bewitched, you're under the influence of the witchcraft, of the evil eye. You're under the influence of Satan. Wait a second. This is a church, Joey. Yeah, a New Testament church. A church that has signs, wonders, and miracle. A church that has revival fire in it. This is a church that birthed out of the upper room. This is the church. The Galatians were saved. They were spirit-filled. They had miracles operating in the church. But yet the apostle Paul says, you're under the spirit of witchcraft. He says these miracles that were done, wait a second. He is acknowledging that miracles were happening in the church. He says these miracles were done. Were they done by the law, legalism, or were they done by grace, by the cross and what Jesus has already accomplished? Witchcraft is the end result of legalism. Again, keeping man-made rules to obtain righteousness with God. Witchcraft is controlling other people. 
That's what churches do that fall away from the cross. That's what denominations do when they start getting involved in what man wants you to do versus what the scriptures declare what you can become. Witchcraft is controlling other people. And how does it happen? Through intimidation, manipulation, domination, which results in condemnation. Not the Holy Spirit conviction. There's a world of difference. When I'm preaching sometimes, some of you feel that like I'm convicted. Look, some of you have that like, oh, man, he's, he's talking directly to me. That's because the Spirit is. You're under that conviction of the Holy Spirit. You've never heard us minister condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ the Lord. But when you get around false teachers, people that have these things happen, you, all can, you always can identify it because it's you have to do this, plus you do that. Now you got to do that. Intimidation, manipulation, domination for the reason of condemnation. Legalism is the way Satan controls the church that has lost its vision for the cross. Here's how it works. Using guilt. And you're, you're driven and you don't even realize it by the spirit of condemnation. And for most men, I'll speak on behalf of men, when you're raised in that type of church or family background, when that gets pushed on you, you pull away. Because of spirit of condemnation. And you say, man, I can never raise up to that. I can never be as holy as that guy. I can never be as spiritual as that woman. I can never obtain that. And now this spirit of condemnation begins to come. And this self-appointed, self-anointed person starts to say, you know, you really need to be doing this. I used to have that happen years ago when I first started pastoring. I never pastored before. But people would always come and go. They'd sense the anointing on, on the grace that was on our lives. They'd sense the, the power of God. And they'd come and go, mm. They'd start sucking their teeth. You ever get around people that start sucking their teeth? Mm-hmm. Really spiritual, really holy people. They just start sucking their teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd really have the grace of God, the goodness of God, and you start doing this. It starts giving you their opinion of what they think God has for you. And I'd say, hey, talk to my rear end because my face is not looking at you. I didn't tell them that, but I thought it. But it's what happens when people try to put something on you you're not ready for. They try to put something on you that maybe you're not designed to carry. They try to put something on you. Or how about this one? Maybe you don't relate to that one, but most of you can relate to this one. Hey, you know what, sister, brother, you know, if you really were serving Jesus like you're claiming to serve Jesus, these things wouldn't be happening to you. Anybody heard that before? Oh, now I'm getting honest in this Presbyterian fellowship. You ever heard that one before? You know, if you're really serving God, brother, you claim to know Jesus, you know, these things wouldn't be happening. I'm sure they said that to Joseph. Joseph, if you were really had a dream from God, brother, if you really heard from God, if you really were the Father's favorite, Joseph, you wouldn't be thrown into that pit. If you really had God's favor, son, you wouldn't be locked up in the penitentiary. I know they said that to Job. Job, you, you must have done something wrong. You must have done something wrong. And now this spirit of condemnation, the spirit of hopelessness, this spirit of, I remember what you did back in 1972. I remember what you did last night. I remember what you said on the Facebook. I remember. Now this spirit of condemnation, this guilt begins to eat at you. Not the Holy Spirit, not the anointing that brings freedom, not the grace of God, but now you're under the control of these people. Or you got to get some new friends. Get rid of them. Block, delete. All that stuff is better to do in person sometimes than on the social platforms. 
That's why you need to take control of your life. Why? Because someone else will. If you don't take control of your life, someone else will. Do not let anybody take your joy. Don't let anybody dehumanize you, make you feel inferior, make you feel unwanted. Come on, help me preach it. Don't let anybody make you feel unworthy, feel without value, because Jesus went to the cross for us to redeem us and to save us. Satan wants to remind you of the past, but God says, I've got a great future for you, future of hope, prosperity, peace. Peace, joy, and love. Can you put your hands together and thank God for that today? I love that. The Word of God says, you don't know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I got plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a bright future. But friends, you have to move into your future before your future moves into you. Your future has to move into you first before you can move into that future. You've got to get a picture of what God has for you. Got to get a vision of what God has for your family. You know, if criticism can kill, I'd be a corpse ten times over. Criticism, it's not what others say about you. It's what you say about you. What you say about you is far more effective than what others say about you. You've got to God given mandate to live an abundant life, to live a prosperity, a prosperous life, to live a life full of joy and peace because you and God are a majority for any trouble that you're going to go through. That's important to know. Your vision for tomorrow will give you the endurance for your present trial. Your God-given vision for tomorrow will give you the courage for your present trial. Trouble is easy to handle when you know it's not going to last. I'm going to try this out over here. You look friendlier. Trouble's easy to handle when you know it's not going to last. Oh. Can you believe them? I'm going to give them another try. Trouble is easy to handle when you know it's not going to last. Ah, oh, there you go. Now we're all one. In closing, you've got to get this vision for tomorrow because trouble is easy to handle if you know it's not going to last. Jesus had this picture. He said in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Oh my gosh, what a powerful scripture. The joy that was set before him because he looked beyond that pain of that cross and he saw you, he saw you, he saw your family, he saw your daughters, your sons, your, your loved ones. He saw you, he saw me, he saw us and he knew that there was joy coming. There were gonna be sons and daughters and there were gonna be people that were gonna rise up and become everything God created them to be. You gotta get a picture of absolute victory right now. Don't get it tomorrow. Get it today. Get a vision of divine health. Get it now. Get a vision of wholeness for your family. Get it now. Get a picture of financial abundance. Get it now. Get a vision of your enemies coming in one way but having to flee seven ways. Get a vision of that now. Get a vision of your marriage being held, healed, and whole now. Get business opportunities coming before you, opportunities to start jobs, start businesses, entrepreneur spirit. Get a vision for that now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it now. Catch a sense today of personal freedom, that the kingdom of God will manifest on my addiction. The kingdom of God can manifest on my life, on my insecurity, on all my doubts and unbeliefs, on all the things that have tried to hold me back. The kingdom of God shall come down and manifest and bring healing it'll bring healing 
But every body in church life, sometimes I often tell Jennifer, and I, I don't know, many of you might not understand this, but I often go, I don't know if I'm cut out for certain church life stuff because it rubs me the wrong way. So in other words, certain things that people do and say, not you guys, you guys are amazing. The other yuck yucks out there in the world. I'm teasing. But there's certain things I go, I don't, I don't want do, to do that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to have to have that. I don't want that tradition if it's not of God. I don't want that. But everybody has their own brand of legalism. Have you ever thought about good, sincere people? Pray to statues every day for divine help because it's the man-made rule of the church. But praying to a statue has nothing to do with the Word of God. You will not find that in Scripture. They're lifeless objects that cannot hear you, they cannot help you, and they cannot save you. It's only the cross that can save us. It's the cross plus nothing. Plus nothing. Crawling down the aisle of a cathedral, kissing the tattoo on the toe, will not bring you healing. Jesus has already paid the price for your healing. He's already accomplished your healing at Calvary. Praying a prayer 10 times in a row will not bring forgiveness. Jesus said, pray not like the vain repetition as the heathen do. Your sins are already forgiven. When you receive the Lord, that's already forgiven. You've already on your way to heaven. Now cross the bridge and let him become Lord. So he starts to just give you great stuff, make you even look better. Give you a good looking face. Some of you need it. <laughs> you do because you got that face on me. So let me give you a new commandment today. You ready for it? Thou new commandment I shall give to thee. You ready for it? If God didn't make the rule, forget the rule. If the Bible doesn't support the rule, forget the rule. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. 